Hello, friends and enemies. Uh, today, I'm here with Jeremy. Uh, Jathan is en route back to Australia. And we're joined by David Gerard, uh, who needs no introduction, but we'll get one because they are one of the most prominent, insightful, uh, best commentators, analysts, uh, critics of crypto around. And so we're having them on today to talk about their work, talk about the recent demolition of the ecosystem as everything seems to fall apart and what happens from here on out, you know, what we can anticipate, expect or learn from this uh, explosion and shit show. So, you know, David, thanks for coming on and joining us. Good evening. So, you know, I think maybe the best place to start is I'm tempted to start immediately with what's going on, but I would love to go back and maybe talk about what brought you into discussing, analyzing, and being interested in crypto. I mean, your work on it stretches really early back on when it was largely a series of some experiments. Some of these white papers had nowhere near the sort of scale and integration and normalization that it does today. You know, what drew your attention to crypto when you first started? I mean, I heard about it quite early on. I think the first time I heard of it was when WikiLeaks got banned from Visa, MasterCard, and PayPal, and someone suggested they could use Bitcoin. What's Bitcoin? It's some internet money. Right. And then I heard about it a bit more, and I realized, oh, this is magical money created by internet libertarians, because I knew these guys. I dealt with them at length on the... Um, assorted Usenet-like message boards we had before um, the internet was for everyone and when it was only for smelly nerds. And um, they were much the same. Um, some people reach the age of 13 and they stop. So they then go out and get degrees and so on. And they think, what if I could start the perfect money that would mean mum can't push me around anymore? And thus we have Bitcoin. Once you understand the people who started Bitcoin, all the comedy gold that has ensued for the last decade just follows from it. That's just it's just science. So they um, basically came up with a form of like this. They talk about technology, but that's nonsense. The technology is stupidly simple, but the actual point is to do money that will. Uh, further libertarian goals of a sort of gold standard of money except on computers. And none of it's coherent, none of it makes sense, none of it stands up. It's all based on wrong ideas, and that means if you get the wrong ideas and extrapolate from them, it develops like a gorgeous fractal Mandelbrot diagram with all sorts of fabulous curly cues and twiddles and interesting stuff, except it's all wrong and made of poop. And that's the Bitcoin world we see before us today. In 2022, it's a lot more elaborate than it was in 2017 or 2013 or 2010, but it all follows from the same principles of having a dumb and wrong idea and hammering on it harder and harder. So I found it fascinating because it was one of those things that I have this unfortunate habit of abyss-gazing. So, you know, you see something that's absolutely wrong and stupid and you just have to look at this thing you can't look away. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I've done this for a few sort of abysses, um, like, you know, following the early neo-reactionaries, um, which was just, they're just darling little people. This was before they even spawned the alt-right as we knew it, um, back when they were dweebs on less wrong, the rationalist philosophy site, yeah. which it's all fabulously bad. Um, 
So that led to me helping um, Elizabeth Sandifer write her book, Neo Reaction of Basilisk. Like sh she said, I'm going to write about these guys. And I said, you are sending me the drafts. So she started emailing me drafts as she wrote them. And I critiqued them. And we basically, I helped, I, I was the, I was the assistant, the editor. Um, and that book is fantastic. So everyone should read it. So I then wanted, I was then chatting with Elizabeth and I said, oh, I need some money. And she said something like, why don't you write a book? And I said, that sounds like a good idea. What should I write about? Uh, why Bitcoin is stupid. Make it 15,000 words. Take a week. Don't work too hard. Um, so nine months, 55,000 words, I think. And 400 footnotes later, I had a book. And I expected to sell about 300 because um, that's what you sell. If you have a self-published book and you have decent social media and it's any good, you can sell 300, right? It's a very small money tree, but you can shake it and get money off it. So this was, it came out in July 2017 and it took off like a rocket because this was the start of the 2017 Bitcoin bubble. There were no critical books. There was like two that came before me. One was Bitcoin by Jeffrey Robinson. He'd been a writer about finance before. He wrote The Laundry Men, which is about money launderers in the 90s. Very influential. And he wrote Bitcoin, which was a little book he wrote about Bitcoin. He's basically retired now, but he got, out, got his pen out to write this thing. And then there was The Politics of Bitcoin by David Columbia, which is all about Bitcoin's libertarian history. That's a short and excellent book that everyone must read to understand what the hell these people were thinking. Um, and Bitcoin lovers hate it, but it he gets his history right. So I found it invaluable for my book. I basically cribbed chapter two from it. So I talk it up whenever I mention it. Um, and then there was mine. And so every sort of TV show or radio show wanted a pundit on who would talk against it as well as for it. And here I am. So I rapidly formed a rule which was always say yes to media. And that stood me in good stead because as a self-published author, I am my product. I thought I'd get away from this stuff. People kept asking me about it. And eventually I made it into a – I turned the book website into a blog. And then my wife said, why don't you start a Patreon? I went, no, no, I want to stop <laughs> writing about this stuff. No, I want to forget. I want to do something else. She was, of course, correct, as she always is. And I started a Patreon and it currently runs like, $800 a month, which is, it's taken a few years to get there, but it's not an income, but it's about, it's about half a job these days. I do freelancing as well, selling books. It's like, I've got a job, but I've got this extra half a job as a cryptocurrency journalist. And all I do is sit, and hear, sit, sit here saying, well, here's the new dumb thing that's happened today. And by the way, two and two still makes four. And um, this is, this Saying that two and two makes four means that I am, of course, a Luddite boomer who just doesn't understand the technology. You're in good company. We're Luddites here too. Then everything falls apart and it turns out that two and two actually makes four. So, yeah, that's, that's sort of the very short history. Basically, I started doing it and people kept giving me money to do it, so I kept doing it. And I enjoy it because it's amazing fun. It's just an endless clown car of stupid. It's just it is the comedy gold that keeps on giving. It's, it's inexhaustible resources because Bitcoin is, I'm quite serious about this aspect, Bitcoin is backed by the most inexhaustible, solid, durable, eternal resource in human history, and that is gullibility. 
As long as there are gullible people who think that get-rich-quick schemes exist, Bitcoin will continue. So I expect to be here a while. I'm 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 glad that you're doing this. Uh, I know the 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 Patreon thing is you know it's a part time job, but it's full time madness that you have to stick your head constantly into that abyss. You know, I mean, it's not looking at an abyss at this point right now. It's like shoving your face into it and like immersing your face in it, like it's a basin full of water. I, I definitely took a great swan dive directly into it and paddle around, saying, "Don't come in." <laughs> I, yeah. I, I, I do appreciate your the sense of humor you have with the approach to this. I think you had a tweet recently where you had. Compared, you said something along the line of it being like a giant Rube Goldberg machine, like slaps slapstick custard pie clown car. Reach custard pie triggers three more custard pies. So it's just that's. I mean, for me, I, I love I love like very colorful analogies like that. But I think I, I think I recently read somewhere. Some I think someone posted it was probably a shit post. So Ed probably retweeted it. That's probably how I found out about it. But it was like, of course, tech bros are losing interest in Bitcoin. It just turned thirteen. <laughs> Yeah, I probably retweeted that. I probably did. You have to understand that not being able to live within 500 feet of a school is a small price to pay for true <laughs> freedom. You no-coiner, you nose-breather, you statist, you toilet pooper, you adult fucker. I mean... <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm a fiat shell. You know, <laughs> I think also it is important to have levity about this because um, a lot of it is not there, you know, and also and like I in the reporting that I've been doing over the past year or two now about this, there's a lot of people who feel when they read about this, that it's too complex, that it's too esoteric, that it's too technical. That's part of the con. You know, exactly. When in reality, they should be trusting their gut because a lot of things that actually are complex do not actually, you know, push you to scratch your head or cannot be explained in simple ways. But when you get down to the bottom of it, like you said, a lot of it is, you know, politics of reaction, uh, libertarian ideology being advanced and projects by these neo reactionaries uh, pushing them forward, and also mis and contradictory thoughts about technology, the applications of it, as well as this deeply anti-human vision about like, you know, what sort of world we should live in. Right. You know, I was, yep. it, that's, that's something that's always struck me that you, I think you've been clear about in your read, your writing too, that, and, and other commentators that they don't actually also offer a world that we should be interested in building. It's amazing. If you, we had the web three dream world, it would be like a really incompetent, William, it would be William Gibson with a concussion. It would be a really stupid cyberpunk hellscape. It would be very, very dumb, dumber than the one we're actually in. Um, it would like, but I mean, the key point of Bitcoin is that's secondary. First thing is, is a get rich quick scheme. If someone says Bitcoin, or if they say ICO, or they say Ethereum, or they say NFT, or they say DeFi, these are all words that the very first meaning is you can get rich without working for it. That's a very powerful promise. You can sell that to anyone. You don't never have to deliver. You just have to make the promise sound cool enough. They'll throw money at you. Yes. They'll tell their friends how cool it is, and they'll get their friends to throw money at you. And then you say, I'm terribly sorry. We were hacked. All your money's gone. Yes, yours, sir. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, I think that, and, and it's especially a powerful promise in the midst of a time where people are, I think generally told, yeah, they're desperate. They're told that everything is fine. And yet 
can't make ends meet and yet are struggling to be satisfied or or to make ends meet right with their lives uh and and i see a lot of times i mean one thing that's always struck me is the extent to which as these things expand they become less you know a lot of a lot of the projects are saying that they're offering new ways for people to liberate themselves from financial systems that have excluded them but when you dig down into it a lot of it is just like people parking money uh, for yield farming projects, right? Because they're believing that they can get 20, 30% interest rates on uh, just, you know, a coin or a token that they're told is going to be valuable at some future point instead of actually like any sort of product, any sort of service that would genuinely offer uh, someone who's, who's, who is excluded or uh, left out of some uh, financial system um, autonomy. You know, and, I, and, and so one thing I would love to ask is like, there's a lot of talk about the technological offerings and the financial technical offerings that these services can provide. Um, but they don't seem to be panning out. You know, why is it that they're still able to m- insist that they are the future, even though traditional institutions don't adopt it? And even though on their own terms, they fall apart and disintegrate pretty quickly or just, you know, yield farming. If you've ever seen crypto people on Twitter, you'll see this thing where they get into crypto and they, they pretty much turn themselves into Twitter bots. They start talking entirely in slogans because someone told them, if you say the words, you'll get rich for free. Don't worry about it if you don't understand it. Just keep saying the words and you will get rich for free. You'll be one of the chosen ones who'll make it out. You'll definitely be an operator. You'll be cool. It'll be fantastic. And then um, a few months later, they're skinned and they disappear and are never heard from again. There's a lot of affinity fraud in it as well, where people from disadvantaged groups will say, I'm one of you. Would I rip you off? Yes, you fucking would. (laughs) Yeah. guy. You know? Um, Affinity fraud. I mean... There's one. There's a couple of horrible people I won't bl- deign to bless with being named who've been going, if you are not into NFTs, you're a transphobe. And it's like, look, be gay, do crimes, meant do crimes with any sense of style. There's a direct and aggressive recruiting effort in poor black communities in America, for example. And it's just incredible. They um, absolutely say, yes, this is the way forward for my um, fellow uh, victims, <laughs> you know. <Right. laughs> and they're going to make out, like, they're going to make a bundle. And the people who buy in are not. And they're going to lose their money. And it's going to be terrible. Affinity fraud is particularly pernicious. But also, affinity fraud's always happened in crypto. Like, there's always a background noise of affinity fraud. You're really noticing the affinity fraud now. Because they've run out of mainstream um, buyers. They've run out of the majority. And now they're having to hit targeted minorities because no one else is left. The common high point is taken as being that Super Bowl ad. Because the trouble with advertising at the Super Bowl is it's your last chance to get fresh consumers. That's why the advertising at the Super Bowl tends to be brands people already know. They're just reinforcement advertising. There have been lots of startups dot-com era and later, who got as far as a Super Bowl ad, but they still hadn't been turned to making a profit yet, and they died. Because you um, have to, like... Pets.com, yeah. Yeah, Pets.com, but that sort of thing. You don't want the Super Bowl ad until you've got profitability, that sort of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, with crypto, it was like, it was absolute last-ditch desperation move, because the way crypto works is 
people talk like it's a way to invest and grow wealth. If you believe the brochure version of how money is supposed to work, you know, you get a pile of money, you invest it in businesses and enterprises, and it grows, and you somehow. And crypto doesn't do that. A pile of crypto is not a pile of capital that you can then go on to be a captain of industry with. It is literally just a pile of stuff. You can buy it, you can sell it. But if your goal is to get actual dollars, then you can only get money from someone else. Like every winner can, every dollar a winner makes must come from someone who lost that dollar. There's no other source of dollars. And that, and it always happens that early winners, who are usually the big guys promoting and running the crypto companies, make the money from later losers, who are these suckers they got in to put their money into Coinbase and so they could definitely get rich for free. And they don't get rich for free. And the few winners, they never shut up. And the great greater number of losers who they were winners on the back of, they disappear embarrassed, never to be heard from again. Um, there's the additional thing where a lot of the people who um, – crypto is sort of custom-made to attract people, the sort of sucker who thinks they're the scammer. They think, I'm going to be the operator. I'm going to stamp on everyone. Whoops, no, you were the sucker. And they then go away and shut up and they're never heard again because they're embarrassed, you know. So, yeah, it, it's it's pernicious on multiple levels and very, very scammy. Yeah, you know, I think – you know, as you laid out this affinity fraud, you know, laundering the the uh, celebrity or the platform of public figures, the desperation in the advertising that's been occurring, you know, conjures to mind a sort of casino um, energy to it, which also, you know, one thing I would also like to ask is, you know, when we step back and we look at this ecosystem, you know, over the past month or, you know, the crash has been ongoing for eight months, but the, the last month has been particularly vicious, right? Um, we've seen the sort of emergence of, you know, systemic risk em- or more clear examples of systemic risk emerge, right? As large players with tens of billions of dollars that no one thought could crash outside of the crick of the critics are crashing, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, from where you're standing and looking at it, I mean, are some of these risks new ones that came because of how large crypto got or these endemic to how it was from the beginning? You know, this sort of idea, uh, maybe because of how it's traded, maybe because of the way in which it's loaned out, maybe in the way in which, like, since it's not actually real capital, a lot of this stuff is illiquid. I mean, what what is your sense of the systemic risk that's been emerging and going on and if there are analogs for it? Well, one thing it is, is a really good instructive example for onlookers what the 2008 financial crisis worked like. Because I lived through it, and it was pretty opaque at the time. We didn't quite get what was going on, but you can look at crypto and go, right, this is the same thing done by very stupid people who think they're geniuses because they were doing well for a while, and they're all idiots, and they did it the dumbest way possible. But yeah, this is what happened in 2008. It's very instructive in this way. You have long chains of leverage where people have bets on bets on bets, or they make a bet on something, they take that money and use that as collateral for another bet and use that money as collateral for another bet. And they do things like you have these companies that offer 20% interest rates, which are not possible in this economy. So I'm in my 50s. I remember the 1980s when interest rates hit 18%. Um, This was in Australia as well as in the US. 
So a part of me still feels that's an achievable interest rate, even though I know in my head that it isn't. But there's going to be a lot of people who feel that way. You know, they're going to feel, this is my right. I had it stolen from me by unspecified actors who definitely aren't Jewish. I deserve my revenge, you know. Um, You know, Bitcoin partakes in lots and lots of conspiracy theories. Uh, Every conspiracy theory about money that you can think of, Bitcoin is in there, you know, um, because it comes from gold bugs, you know. And people feel they have a right to be winners because they were robbed. Well, they were robbed, but it certainly, Bitcoin isn't the answer, you know. Um, I mean, I could come up with answers like maybe we could spread the wealth around a bit more. You know, if you give money to poor people, they spend it and the economy is directly stimulated or something. But that would make the eight people who own everything sad. So obviously we can't do anything. That's not an option. So I guess we just have to suck. They, they built long chains of leverage and stuff collapsed. Uh, you have Ponzi schemes, invested in other Ponzi schemes. I don't know what they were thinking. Did they think the other guy was in a real business, even though it was the same business. <laughs> Whoever blinks first, essentially. <laughs> they all think that um, they were all in real businesses, that this is what running a financial company actually meant. You know, it's hard to figure out if they're smart, dumb guys or dumb, smart guys, you know. It's, it's a tricky one. Are they intelligent people who are using their intelligence to be 10 times dumbasses, or are they just talented idiots who, you know, you look at some like, I'll name one, Alex Masinski from Celsius, um, yeah. <laughs> the lender that went off this time. Right. He is the most dog shit investor. You look at some of the deals that Celsius tried to pull and you think, this is too stupid. I must be misunderstanding it. And no, it it's just dumb. There wasn't a magic 12-dimensional chess going on here. This is just stupid. Um, but he's a really, really good salesman. And he just... You just say, but sir, two and two makes four, and he just steamrolls over you. And, you know, he's good at blustering effectively until he isn't. Um, so, yeah, the whole thing's been shaky. I th- Bitcoin bubbles, I mean, crypto's bubble. Crypto's is basically, it's all Bitcoin. It's all Bitcoin and its offspring. They um, basically, I think the shine came, I think the actual bubble ran from about February to June last year. Basically, it was an Elon Musk-driven bubble. He bought Bitcoins for Tesla after he'd been talking up Dogecoin in January. When he bought Bitcoins in February, that was the signal. That was when you saw normal people getting in. Yes, yes, yes. He's famous. He's rich. He must be a genius, obviously. You know, he he invented Teslas after all. He invented cars or he invented solar panels. So he must be a genius. And they bought Bitcoins. And you'd hear them talk about their Ethereum portfolios and so on. Um then he sold up in May because he'd made Tesla's quarterly numbers, as was his goal, I think. And, um, you know, because one thing he is good at is business. So then the interest from the public dropped off. Now, the fact that crypto is winners and losers and every dollar a winner gets a loser must have lost means that the whole system runs on those scarce actual dollars. You see prices in billions and trillions of dollars for crypto. These are all lies. These are all just made-up bullshit. These are absolutely virtual numbers that someone got a calculator, they made a number, and they got headlines about it. It's absolutely promotional lies. The actual amount of dollars in the system is not known, but it's much, much smaller. And I think in last June, a lot of dollars went home, and they weren't coming back. So 
Crypto then had to frantically scramble to look like it was bigger and puff itself up. And it started sort of eating itself, a sort of ketoacidosis as it lost weight by dissolving its own muscles. So they came up with more and more elaborate schemes to make the numbers look bigger and make sure that people were scrambling their cryptos around and try to lure people in. They pumped NFTs super hard, right? The celebrities got in at it because CAO owns a chunk of OpenSea, the main NFT market. That explains all celebrity coverage, you know. Yeah, pretty much all of them being that. Yeah, the, the network map. Of being, yeah, they're all CAA. Literally yeah. all CAA. Um, Madonna's manager also got her pushing them recently because he owns a chunk of Yuga Labs who do the Bored Apes NFT collection. Stuff like that. It, it's literally just a celebrity promotion. Thankfully, the public hate this garbage. Yes. <laughs> it's heartening. It warms the heart, you know. Yes, it does. We are there with the other 7 billion no-coiners in the world. Yeah. Because um, it turns out the public can't stand this stuff. Companies adopt NFTs, and there's a backlash every time across industries. And mm-hmm. companies keep going for it because who doesn't like the lure of free money? Right. A lot of times you get mm-hmm. promoters going from companies to celebrity to whatever and saying, Hey, take this on. It's free money. They burn mm-hmm. out their reputation. The promoter goes on to the next sucker. You know, but um, yeah, so the NFT market didn't exist outside a few crypto speculators. That is, they were all chasing the same precious pool of crypto dollars. Um, then they were so desperate to build these amazing towers of financial engineering. And what a phrase that is, you know, where you'd have complicated systems built on other complicated systems with a lot of big numbers thrown around that they ended up inventing this thing that was supposed to be a coin that was worth a dollar, a stable coin. Because these people can't get actual dollars because banks ask inconvenient questions like, are you a crook? (laughs) And so on. And um, they couldn't deal with questions like that because they were. So they had to come up with dollar substitutes that they could pass around like packets of cigarettes or bottles of Tide detergent to substitute for dollars in their um, totally non-criminal economy. And they um, came up with this one, which I will tell the story of the one that caught fire and just popped the balloon. Mm-hmm. Um, UST, um, there were two tokens, UST and Luna. The idea was that UST would be a dollar. Luna would be a free-floating cryptocurrency that was worth whatever someone would pay for it. Now, the trick there is that both of those were just made up one day. Like, Terra Labs just made them up out of thin air, pulled them out of their backsides. They were just magic beans. They had no reason to be worth anything. But the great thing about the DeFi markets is you can sell one token, and then your token has a value. It's a token that's priced in another token that's priced in another token, and that's priced in dollars. But you can attribute a dollar price tag to it. It's totally unwarranted. There's no liquidity. There's no way to you'd ever get many dollars out of it ever, but you can put a number on it. And the great thing about numbers is people take them seriously when they absolutely shouldn't. So I'd underestimated this effect. I hadn't realized that this was the point, to take illiquid crap and put a dollar price tag on it so people would think it was worth that much. If you see DeFi theft, hundreds of millions of dollars, it was probably lots and lots of completely illiquid tokens no one would pay anything for but they can put a price tag on it. So it's a lie. It's a marketing lie. So this thing, UST, was this weird over-leveraged product, project, product, sorry, that was supposedly worth a dollar, and they used it as currency because they couldn't get dollars. 
and the authorities were sniffing around the other dollar stablecoin things. So they had this one, which didn't have the authorities sniffing around at that time. So it was a much more desirable sort of coin. Trouble is that like 2008, they built a dollar product out of bad parts. They basically got a bunch of crap and said that they could make it into a stable substance. Trouble is that that works until the whole market goes down and then you're the fact that you built it on crap actually shows up. This is what happened in 2008. They had stable dollar-equivalent products with money market funds that were actually built on house prices. Then they were built on bets on house prices. Then they were built on bets on bets on house prices. Right. So you can leverage it a lot more, you know. You can multiply the good effects. It turns out this multiplies bad effects too. So house prices went down even slightly and the whole thing fell over. Money market funds collapsed. The people who had money with the money market funds were left short of their money. It risked taking down the whole US economy and the Fed had to shower dollars on everyone. They were very pissed off about this. Basically, they did this in crypto in a small sandbox environment where they could just kill each other and not bother the rest of us. So UST went down. Luna went nowhere. A lot of normal people were busted by this because people were being sold this garbage thinking it was proper investments and not realizing that it was utterly unregulated trash. At this point, I think we can blame the regulators for not stamping on this stuff with a piano falling from above about a year ago at least. Yes. So the SEC should have been there. There should be questions asked about why they were not. There's, yeah, why haven't they been? I mean, they've hired on and recruited advisors, uh, uh, crypto analysts or researchers who have in various studies either warned about the risk of stable coins and the associated DeFi uh, protocols and projects promising people these insane yields, talked about the how that ecosystem encourages massive leverage like you've been talking about to pay back those interest rates, talking about how these dollar substitutes are not, like they're the core of what is appearing to be a dynamic, growing ditch asset class, but in reality, it's just an over-leveraged, um, you know, set. It's a very elaborate house of cards. Yeah, house of cards. What, what's, you know, do you have any idea, have there been talk about what's going on with the SEC, or is this like typical of regulatory authorities in the face of externalities from some new asset class? So the first thing is they worry about investors getting ripped off because that's political poison. But they also worry much more about systemic issues like investors being ripped off is bad, but having the whole economy collapse so everyone gets in trouble is worse. So the thing that they worry about is that these crypto bozos will get their tentacles into the actual economy where people live. So that's why they want to regulate this stuff and keep the stable coins at bay because they know what this stuff looks like. They all lived through 2008. That's what keeps regulators awake at night. There's a lot to, um, there's a lot of problems with the system, let's say. There's a lot to object to. But the people running it do actually feel they have a duty to at least keep the wheels on, you know, make sure it doesn't actually catch fire or whatever. And that this is a better alternative than just letting the whole thing collapse in economic disaster or another Great Depression, which you could argue. Um, they're, not ex they're not given to accelerationism. So with the stable coins, what happened was – but the failure I'm talking about is the failure to protect investors. There are reasons why the regulators don't do this. One is they do not like 
trashing a party. They don't want a dust party. Because um, if they stop the scams while they're in progress, the people who are making money in them scream, and there's lots of trouble. They prefer to come in after it's exploded and clean up and then put people in jail. It's a lot more politically viable. This is unfortunate, but true. Also, they don't have unlimited resources. Um, a lot of what crypto has done is spam the SEC with so many bad actors that you'd be pursuing multiple new, starting new, multiple new cases a day. They don't have the people for that. And the agencies have been systemically starved, you know, because you want a small government that can't interfere with us and our mates. So that I think that's what's going on there. And I think they need to grab they need to grab the opportunity to squash these cretins like bugs now that they've collapsed, so they don't have to do it again and do what they should have done in 2018 last time crypto collapsed. I would like to see that, please. Thank you, SEC. No. Thank you, SEC. <laughs> Any SEC um, investigators listening, we're on your side. We want to help you do your job. Whatever it takes, we will help you. Please. But David, what about all the possible use cases of crypto and the and the ways in which it could help people send money or 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 liberate themselves from the financial system? What about do you want to crush the uh, those opportunities like a bug too? Yes. <laughs> That's because they're fake and they don't yeah. exist. The SEC needs to hire a, a wetworks team. <laughs> made all these fuckers. The People's Bank of China, when it was busy squashing crypto, which was the, they squashed it in 2017 to a large extent, as America should have. Now, I don't know if it's a good. Now, the and the People's Bank of China, which, as well as being the central bank, is the regulator, had to remind people that financial crimes carry the death penalty. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not entirely convinced that a financial regulator having the power of life and death is actually a good idea. Right, yeah. <laughs> I see that it would have been um, – it would, certainly would have caught a lot of people's attention. Yeah, basically, they chucked out a lot of the um, crypto economy in 2017 and – they only got rid of the Bitcoin miners in 2021 because China, of course, has an authoritarian government, but the country is a billion people. It does not move in lockstep. There's a lot of politics going on. The Chinese people themselves are stroppy and cantankerous people. You cannot actually tell them to do things. You can, but they'll definitely give you trouble. They're great, but it means that they're hard to actually tell, no, you can't do this. They'll go, sure, right, you are, and they'll keep on doing it. George Carlin had a bit where he talked about the only way that we can get past any of the financial crimes, the white collar financial crimes that happen in the world is by just basically telling bankers, if you fuck the money up, you're, you're going to fucking die. We're just going to put you to death. Just putting the death penalty on the plate for any financial crimes is the only way to, well, not really the only way because people are still going to do this shit, but you know, it's a nuclear deterrent really is really what it boils down to. Next, we're saying that we get the eight guys who own everything and introduce them to one slicey boy, and we can't have that. That's impossible. <laughs> right, right. We cannot so, have people rioting in the streets and setting fire to things because that would be impolite and bad, and it might damage property. So we can't have that happen. We definitely cannot have anyone chopping people's heads off ceremonially or setting Elon Musk on fire. That would be bad. Yeah, that would and be, really, this is a be, you know, <laughs> illiberal. Speaking as a suburban liberal myself, all of my opinions, by the way, 
are centrist and nuanced. Right, um, right. They're all balanced. I checked. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. absolutely. Um, maybe we could slice halfway through their necks, and that would be balanced. It wouldn't be going extreme and cutting all the way through. Yeah, you have to piss both sides off. That's how you make a good decision. Right. Apparently so. Also, <laughs> apparently the job of comedians is to upset people and not like to make them laugh or anything. Mm-hmm. That's right. why the job's called annoying asshole, not comedian. I'm curious then with what we've been seeing from regulators or, and also the limitations of regulation, are you concerned that there's going to be a certain level of normalization and integration? Um, whether that mean the adoption of some of the centrally backed digital currency regimes that mean like, you know, as the UK kind of proposed, uh, looking into or investigating the possibility of bailing out, uh, crypto projects that were systemic risks to the larger economy? Like, are, do you, are you concerned that we've reached a point where we can't crush it, um, but instead parts of it will be salvaged and it reintegrated and normalized? So I don't think that those particular things are a problem because – so what's actually happening is central bank digital currencies are not good news for Bitcoin. They're completely separate things. The current round of it was inspired by Bitcoin – like I wrote a book chapter on this and it's up on my website. They're not going to use any of this stuff to actually run them. Um, and it's not going to have anything to do with cryptocurrency as we know it. Yeah. Or, or I should maybe reframe my question. My question is I, that while they are separate projects, are, are there concerns that, you know, individuals advancing them, infrastructure built up to advance them may, may end up being aligned with some of the uh, politics of the projects to to advance the other projects, right? Like, is there a concern that even the process... Sort of, I see what you mean, but I don't think so really because none of this shit works. <laughs> I think this is a fact that it has ignored a lot. People talk about it because number go up. There's right. no more interesting headline in finance than a number mm-hmm. going up, right? <laughs> right? That is what catches eyes. I've talked... We all talk amongst ourselves, right? Financial journalists, everyone covering this stuff, we all talk amongst ourselves, we all bitch about how we can't get shit past their editors. There are people who have been covering things like Tether, the central bank of crypto, which I'm not even going to try to explain in our remaining time. Basically, it's just a massive, massive scam, fake central bank for crypto. And if you want to know about them, read, search for New NYAG Tether and CFTC Tether and read the settlements they had to do when they were kicked out of New York and when the CFTC fined them $40 million and their lies and ineptitude. I can call them, I will call Tether Incorporated repeat liars here from the jurisdiction of England and Wales and its Bible laws because those are simply facts. Yes, yeah. Well documented. But anyway, they've tried to document this stuff going back years. They couldn't get it past their editors because no one really cares. This stuff's sort of obscure, boring, and stupid, and it was actually quite small. Crypto is very small. It gets a lot of headlines because it's got a really good hype machine, and it keeps throwing on numbers like billions of dollars, but the billions of dollars are all fake. They're virtual. The real dollars are a lot smaller. We know the real dollars are smaller. 
because a weird thing happened last year. After 10 years of being ruthless, ruthless economic agents, the Bitcoin miners stopped selling their coins as soon as they can and started stockpiling the coins. They'd mine Bitcoins, which means burning electricity to guess numbers. And if you guess the right number, you win the Bitcoins. That's literally how Bitcoin mining works. It's very, very stupid and wasteful. And this industry shouldn't exist. And these people should be out of work and shunned. They started stockpiling the coins. And the only reason I can think of that makes any sense is they couldn't sell them without risking crashing the market because the actual dollars weren't there anymore. They had to push them out very slowly. So they started doing things like they'd lend them to their fellow crypto companies and borrow dollars backed by the Bitcoins. Now, that's the terrible deal because if they defaulted and they sold the collateral, it would crash the market. But, you know, they've run out of money to even do that lately and they've started having to sell the coins and that's a lot of downward pressure on the price. So we know a lot of – we know there aren't enough dollars to actually sell all the coins that are being mined. We also know that in May – um, the collapse of Terra Luna made international mainstream headlines. People everywhere heard that this th big disaster had happened. A lot of ordinary people got sucked in and lost their money. Like, they just wanted to have an investment in these times when everyone's scared. And they got for this one, and they got just absolutely scammed and ripped off. And if you tell them how Terra Luna works, where it's a thing backed by another thing, and they're both made up magic beans that aren't worth anything – They'd go, that's incredibly stupid, but no one had even told them that step. So, yeah. Um, so, in May, a whole lot more. The remaining retail dollars mostly were scared away. Suddenly, crypto sucked. All the newspapers have been going, wow, crypto is so cool, isn't it? Um, they suddenly started saying, hmm, maybe crypto is not good. Bullshit. <laughs> right. yeah. But they're reprehensible crypto pumping garbage that they ran and a month later they were going wow crypto is terrible isn't it um it's a balanced viewpoint you see it's halfway between the people being ripped off by crooks and the crooks yeah that's balanced isn't it we can have a fair medium between the two mm -hmm. half criminality it'll be, it's just awesome so the dollars went home and it was that in the last month you've seen coinbase Gemini and Crypto.com all have massive layoffs <laughs> all of a sudden. Coinbase were hiring hugely. They hired 30% of their staff in the first half of 2022. Suddenly, they laid off 20% of their staff. The reason, I think, is because those are the cashier's desk for the crypto economy. They're the exchanges that take in and out actual dollars. And they know exactly what the numbers are of people putting dollars in. I think that they saw the dollars drop and got really scared. So, yeah, the dollar's gone home. So, anyway, collapse of UST. All, all of these crypto Ponzi's had huge investments in UST, so they all collapsed too, and we've seen them going over like dominoes for the last week, and it's been great. Yeah. <laughs> it could happen to better guys. It's just <laughs> And at the moment, we've got a new thing, which is there's a lot of DeFi protocols. I won't even explain what those are. They're sort of like... These small Ponzi-like schemes with stupid interest rates, except they're very small ones that you can do by yourself from your web browser and um, be a crypto trader and feel like a hotshot. These tend to have stupid amounts of money in them, like hundreds of millions of dollars. And when I say dollars there, those are actually pretty close to dollars. Like stable coins like USDC, which is 
actually convertible into dollars without much difficulty. So, yeah. Um, and what's been happening is you've got these things with hundreds of millions of dollars in them, and these guys come in and do a weird transaction and where they they basically what they do is they borrow usdc from the um protocol from the DeFi thing they borrow it they say i'm going to take out a loan of 500 million stable coin fake dollars and what i'll give you as collateral is this excellent pile of dead shit coins i have over here which no one wants and cannot be traded but they have a face value you know they have a number value so they put in $500 million face value of dead coin and they take away their $500 million of USDC, which can actually be turned into money, and then they vanish. They default on the loan, the protocol is screwed, and it, has, it can sell the collateral and get nothing for it. There's been two of these in the last two days. And I expect that there's a lot of big guys prowling around looking for more of them. And this is just like a new dimension in comedy gold. It's awesome. Did you see that um, just today BlockFi secured a $250 million revolving credit facility from FTX? Yes, it's awesome. <laughs> like, there's nothing like decentralization and crypto is nothing like decentralization. Yeah, you know, I think that's uh, one thing I am fascinated by in the coming collapse is to see the ways in which um, you know, uh, there are attempts to backstop or protect the ecosystem and how the communities are going to react to that. You know, like just what, three, four days ago we saw, um, I love, I love that this happened. There was, um, there was one crypto whale who had a significant position in, uh, of Solana coins. That was one of the ones I talked about. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He put in way much more Solana you could sell. Mm -hmm. He took the USDC. Mm-hmm. And he vanished. Yeah, yeah. He actually did. He did that 12 days ago. He did that a long time ago. Mm-hmm. They only just they realized, wow, we're screwed. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. So now it's like it's getting into a sort of territory where individuals who are whales and kind of had this idea maybe that they could keep their positions because they could bet against them, gamble against them, cash out, disappear, turn the fake money into real money. Um, by being cynical actors are now getting stopped by each other and also getting stopped by this, you know, more savvy and also cynical billionaires, investors, firms who are like, okay, the whole parade is going to collapse if we start letting people get out. It's um, absolutely will collapse because the, the exit doors are very small because there's no actual dollars. You need actual dollars to get out because you cannot cash out because there's so much virtual money and it doesn't exist. It never existed. That money was never there. The thing is, people didn't lose their money when the Bitcoin drops below 20000 or whatever. They lost their money when they bought the Bitcoins. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. When you bought the Bitcoins, your money flew over into the sunset, never to be seen again. You just have a lump of – you just have this cryptographic dog turd there, and you have to find someone to sell your cryptographic dog turd to who will pay more than you did for it. That's a hard sell. But you can do it, Maybe. If you can't, you've got a cryptographic dog turd there that you can cuddle up to it and feel, well, I own a Bitcoin. So so now we're at a sort of general market collapse, rising interest rates, a lot of firms saddled with high debt, a liquidity crisis. Um, what is this the, do you feel like this is the beginning of the end, the actual death keel here? Are there ways that they can get out of this, na- uh, this crisis and navigate it? I think we're into the middle of the end of this bubble. Um, so, I mean, the end of crypto, like 
obviously, Bitcoin is going to be around for decades. I say obviously because all it takes is a copy of the software, a copy of the blockchain, and two or more enthusiasts. Yes. If you're talking about will Bitcoin be an interesting financial instrument, that's a completely different question, right? That depends on the rest of the world. And if the rest of the world gets annoyed and decides, yeah, actually, you suck, they can enforce that. Because if your goal is actual money, then at some point, the world of actual money will have a few opinions on this. Basically, if you want real money, you have to work by the rules of real money. You can object to them. There's a lot to object to in them. But, you know, there's going to be some rules there. And none of the rules tend to allow people to just be crooks. You know, you'll not have a regulatory regime unless you run rampant over people because they get really upset. And that's how we got the rules. The other thing about crypto is it's not an industry. It is not an industry of competing players, competing, competing companies who are working to beat each other at all. It is a single unified casino. It's the same bunch of large players who've been into it for years. All the exchanges, the large crypto miners, the whales who own the stuff, um, they're all the same people that have been for years. And it is a single unified casino. Coinbase and the regulated exchanges, somewhat regulated, they're the cashier's desk. They're just the window where you the tellers window you put your dollars in and take your dollars out. The, all the action happens in the offshore exchanges, which have literally no regulation. They are where all the trading happens. They are where the price discovery happens to get markety about it. They are where the action is. They have literally no rules except don't spook the suckers. People love gambling in those because that's the high-rolling gambling place is the high-rolling casino where you can have a lot of fun and don't listen too loud, too much to the disturbing noises coming from the back room. Um, and remember, high-roller in casinos has always been a euphemism for money launderer, and so it is too with crypto. Um, Binance had a – there was a huge Reuters special report on Binance detailing how um, – Various criminals, drug dealers, North Korea, and so on, were laundering money out through Binance. I should note, of course, that Binance deny everything and say that Reuters just ran this detailed special report they spent weeks on as clickbait because, obviously, apparently they do that a lot, Reuters. Right. Do. <laughs> <laughs> to, in fairness. Right. You know, you can't trust their fiat shills after all, you know. Absolutely. No, you can only trust people with skin in the game. Mm -hmm. You know, if, they haven't been, if you haven't been to jail for financial crimes, <laughs> can you even be trusted? I don't want to. I don't want to read your writing unless you've been charged with a felony by the SEC. Absolutely, and you know that I'm not quite joking about that. Getting busted for financial crimes in crypto, these guys keep showing back up again in actual positions where they have responsibility for value that substitutes for currency, and it's like what the. F fuck are you people thinking? You have to leap this considerably. I usually, I find it hard to rein it in these days. <laughs> <laughs> no, feel free to, feel free to. Um, I think, you know, this kind of, you know, leads me to, uh, I guess maybe the next question, which is like, you know, do you feel that there is an appetite to actually rein this in? Because also a lot of people, I think, you know, probably the main example that jumps out to me, like Justin Sun, you know, at, over at Tron, um, uh, and BitTorrent is, you know, there are a lot of people who exploit the la the the lack of a cohesive legal framework around the world, you yeah. know, to establish, like you said, hubs in 
gambling countries, right? Or loopholes um, to operate in countries that might otherwise ban them, right? So, I mean, how do, you know, what does it look like to actually enforce um, some sort of regulation against them? Does that also mean that there needs to be an articulation of what kind of money we do and do not have? Or is it as simple as saying uh, crypto tokens need to fucking go? So it's a tricky one. Um, the way that China did it was they said, no, you can't run a crypto exchange. No, you can't sell this stuff for money. Eventually, they said, like, a crypto is a cryptographic token, it's property that you can own, like any other. You know, they have property rights in China. Um, but they made a special rule that uh, businesses could not deal in this stuff. You could probably still exchange it person to person. And there's still a lot of crypto in China. There's still crypto miners in China because electricity is so cheap. But um, they're not welcome. And that's a very important thing. Um, if you ban crypto from the financial system, well, you could do that. You know, you could make it so that, no, you can't run a crypto exchange. The US is a capitalist country. They love business and they love financial business. If you were set up a business, they just will encourage you wholeheartedly. So they don't want to quash financial businesses. So what they will do is put a lot of rules on it. And there's increasing money laundering regulation. There's a lot of bad things to say about the money laundering regime, but it is the regime that exists. Um, and one thing it does have internationally is now it has rules about uh, called the travel rule, where if you move cryptos around, they have to follow the rules of moving money around. Like you have to know who it's from and who it's to. That basic level of rules. Um, I I could be wrong, but I think we'll end up with a two-speed crypto system where you have the um, official system where you can change the stuff for actual money with relative ease and everything is completely tracked by the authorities. And the system outside that, where it's hard to get actual money in and out of it, but you can play in the casino all you want. Um, so, yeah, it's the offshore unregulated casinos. They're trying very, very hard to get onshore representation, like Binance and FTX both have US branches for US customers. They, they've learned finally to pretend not to be going for US customers, that sort of thing, because that puts them in US jurisdiction and gets the big guys with the guns after them. And various exchanges have been busted that way in recent times. So I don't know, it's really hard to regulate because, you know, if you regulate Coinbase, well, you've done that, but you haven't really stopped Binance at all and the bad things that happened there. And crypto exchanges absolutely abuse their customers as much as they can get away with. I say that based on the historical evidence that all crypto businesses abuse their customers as much as they can get away with. We have pretty good evidence. There's been studies tracking this stuff that Binance trade against their own customers. Um, there was a big thing in the Washington Post even about this by um, Jacob Silverman and Ben McKenzie, um, who have a book coming out on this stuff. They're awesome. And writing about how Binance has screwed over a pile of their customers. And it's like, it's what, who's going to stop them? No one, you know? And they can't get US dollars anymore, but they can get other currencies, get euros, British pounds, Australian dollars. A lot of Australians got ripped off putting their money on Binance, thinking it was a real financial institution and not an offshore casino. Um, there's, but there's much gl more glaring failures. Celsius, for example, that was operating in the US. They were based in New Jersey. They were getting ordinary people 
retail investors who are supposed to be the ones the SEC protects. And the SEC did not squash them like a bug as they could have at any moment. And that is a glaring failure on their part. You can say there are reasons for this, and I'm sure things are there are excellent and complicated and unfortunate reasons why they didn't do anything, but it was nevertheless a failure on their part. And I would like there to be the political will to let the regulators actually act against these assholes. They're reprehensible, and they need to be called reprehensible loudly and repeatedly until the political will can back calling these reprehensible assholes reprehensible. Because, you know, ripping off mums and dads and grannies and young people who are desperate is reprehensible, it turns out. And, I mean, it's fu- it's great fun talking about this stuff. And, yeah, you know, I talk to trader dudes, and they, they're actually quite sanguine about the collapse. You know, like, lol, it all caught fire again. Yeah, it's always on fire. Right. Overleveraged garbage collapses all the time. You know, it's normal. And it is interesting. It's absolutely fascinating. But we do have to remember that there is a moral core and a public interest here, and the public interest is not to have people scammed. And you'd think that was simple and the media would get it, but it turns out that's incorrect. So, you know, I have to keep yelling at them. I think maybe then the last point I want to move on to is what you pointed out, which is, you know, media coverage also, I think, which is a puzzle in, in, in this. You know, I've been, I think, you know, when it comes to the gig economy, I've noticed similar trends and they've been talked about um, before by uh, Samuel Harnett, you know, about how when it, the gig economy, you know, the on-demand labor economy was ascending, a lot of these platforms weren't offering anything other than um, vehicles for regulatory arbitrage and ways to uh, offer sub-minimum wages, uh, so break labor laws so that they can one day return a profit. But a lot of reporters who weren't focused on the labor angle were pulled in by PR, by experiments and playing with it themselves, uh, by ignoring the workers and the people who actually powered these things. And similarly, it feels like we're seeing a, we've seen a dynamic that emerges where when the reporting kind of ignores, like you said, the people who are the suckers and their blood is, their lifeblood is fueling the casino or, or people who are ignoring the actual technical details of how these things operate and how they're exploiting loopholes and regulations uh, that the coverage suffers. I mean, what then is also a recourse in coverage of these things? You know, because you also talked about how, you know, there can be a blockage with some editors covering certain stories, but it also just feels like we are kind of repeating again another sort of tech optimism oversight where people are arguing nonsense about these projects because they bought the hype or because they have an interest in it or because they just aren't curious enough. Yeah, you get these people. Um, there was that that awful, that reprehensible bilge that was in the New York Times promoting crypto in March. Mm-hmm. That was by Kevin Roos, who I'll name, because the month before, he did a great long Twitter thread begging to be allowed to own a pile of cryptos and also write about them in the paper. Now, you might have heard of a thing called journalistic ethics, which is where you don't write about assets that you have a massive holding in. And it turns out that non-clown shoes financial media, Uh like Financial Times, Bloomberg, they have explicit rules. You cannot write about assets you own. 
Yeah. There's a reason for that. Like the FTs one applies to the way it's written applies to every employee in the building, including the janitors, you know, uh, but you, you can't write about things you own. Uh, you can own stuff, but you can't write about it. Bloomberg like have the same sort of rule. Um, I mean, they talk about this stuff because they're the financial news for rich guys and they presume that everyone there is interested in number go up as their primary interest, not so much in the ripped off suckers because it, that's not really their audience. The Financial Times is a bit more interested in those because it was founded as a paper that was against financial frauds. But again, you know, it's basically they're more interested in the, in the mechanics and the intricacies and the fact that the number is going up. But New York Times is supposed to be the a paper of record for the general public and they actually are for the general public and they can't do that shit. Well, they shouldn't be able to do that shit. Roos got an earful from absolutely everyone saying, well, why don't you do what other papers do? Like, for instance, there was a Guardian article on how to buy an NFT. The journalist used expenses. It was expense to the paper. It's simple. The crypto press, this is why the crypto media is base is not really trade press it's basically cheerleading yeah coindesk i mean i know people who write for coindesk they're great yeah. uh, there are journalists at coindesk who i absolutely read i read coindesk every day it's useful and interesting yeah. and it should not be trusted to do quality journalism because they barely have any rules they have no rules stopping people from owning cryptos they write about. A lot of them do own it and will just say, I have positions in this in their bio. No, no, no. It's even better. They now want a rule where you don't disclose it because <laughs> they they literally said, we want reporters, writers who have, quote, skin in the game, unquote. The standard in crypto media is to have skin in the game. And I go, yes, that's why I've been calling you a bunch of clowns. Yeah. You know, it's like, what the fuck? Is this just <laughs> No, it's PR. It's a bunch of press releases. Um, they tried doing the Association of Cryptocurrency Journalists and Researchers. Sounds good. Trade organization for crypto journalists. The catch is the and researchers. This means the marketers working for crypto exchanges who write yeah. research reports. Yeah, like A16Zs. And it turns out those are the guys who founded it. <laughs> and they don't distinguish. And That's it's like... No, actually, having a massive conflict of interest is bad and makes you untrustworthy and is not how non-clown shoes media does this. And again, I feel like I'm taking crazy pills, you know. <laughs> two and two actually makes four. And, you know, that shouldn't be a controversial, amazing fact, but somehow it sort of is. Yeah, you know, I think that's that's one thing I've been increasingly growing more frustrated with. I think the most recent sort of spectacle around it must have been that ad read um, by Galloway and Swisher advertising. Oh, that uh, was product. awesome. At least <laughs> Galloway had the grace to be embarrassed. <laughs> yeah. Like, they not embarrassed enough not to take the money, but... You know, um, but Swisher just came out fighting, saying, crypto's here to stay. It's like the early internet. She literally wrote about the early internet. Jesus Christ. Yeah. And it's like, oh, I've got 10 undisclosed Bitcoins. Oh, I lost them behind the couch somewhere. You know, who? Who, who knows? Do you notice that you lose $300,000? I don't. <laughs> I fell out my pocket one day. I don't really care about that. I don't believe her, it turns out. You know, it's like, this is nonsense. and. No, actually, 
Swisher should not be writing about crypto in New York Times with a massive, massive undisclosed position. And yeah. you'd think that was obvious. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. She must be bagged on this every single time. It is your duty as a citizen, you know? Mm-hmm. No, I, I hear you. I agree. You know, I do think that um, there are so many ways in which these groups of people, these, you know, invest the, the crypto holders, their firms, the marketers are trying to pull one over people. That yeah, there should like, be such a high standard for reporters. It. Because you know? they see the free money and they can't resist. And it is a lot of money. If you write about free money and how people are getting rich for free for a year, yeah. you're going to want to get in on it. Yeah. And that's a normal urge, but it's also incompatible with your day job. You know, make a decision. Oh, you're absolutely right. And then, of course, maybe you'll get to now and you'll discover that actually it's not so great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, how sad. Oh, I think, you know, that brings us to the end of the episode. I would love to give you a chance also to plug um, any the things that you've been working on. I know that you're working on a project with Amy Castor, who's another great crypto uh, critic and analyst of all the nonsense that's going on in the sector with you. Um, is there anything else that you'd like to talk about add on? Um, yeah, we're well, I've got my two books, Attack of the 50-Foot Blockchain from 2017, which is disconcertingly still applicable. Yes. Because suckers never change. My other book is Libra Shrugged, How Facebook Tried to Take Over the Money. Um, this is about how rich anarcho-capitalist Silicon Valley venture-type people thought that they'd make their own private money, which the government couldn't monitor. And how the US, how for once the US government, both parties stood up and said, hell no. Yeah. (laughs) Definitely not. No. Responsible um, response or correct response to fucking Facebook trying to upend financial system. (laughs) I mean, you can't really become a politician without some sort of talent. And these people finally showed it and it was good. It was, it was good to see. So that was nice. Um, and yeah, and I have the blog also called attack of the 50 foot blockchain at davidgerard.co.uk. I'm working on this book about NFTs with Amy Caster. She started this project last year and then she abandoned it because she just hated it. I went, I should have a book out by now. Maybe she wrote an NFT book. I'll ask Amy if we want to do it together. And it's been a slog because we both hate it and think the entire subject should die in a fire. But finally, we worked out that actually nobody cares about history. All they care about is funny, dumb crook stories. So we're trying to turn up the funny, dumb crook stories and get the history in there too. And we think that's going to be the winner. Um, we've been collaborating a lot because basically it's much easier when you do half, when each of you does half the work instead of one person trying to do all the work. And that's certainly helping cover the current crypto collapse and all its comedy gold. Um, I'm supposed to be writing a proposal for a book on El Salvador's Bitcoin disaster. Um, And I'm literally learning Spanish in Duolingo in the hopes that I'll get good enough to uh, read original documents in Spanish. Amazing. And I have a whole ton of... um, Spanish speakers will be delighted to help me once I think I can put a sentence together. And so it'll be great. If you need any resources on language learning, let me know. I have, uh, I'm also trying to um, better uh, get better with Spanish, um, but also learn a few other languages uh, so that I can do some reporting on some, on some stuff I'm obsessed with, uh, but is only yeah. talked about there. 
So you can only go so far with Google Translate. Yeah, really. I've gotten a long way, but basically there's a ton of much more highly recommended courses. But the great thing about Duolingo is, you know, all the evil gamification stuff that mobile games do and the semi-gambling type games do. Duolingo applies all the psychological tricks of gamification to get you to practice your language. They do everything short of uh, actually threatening you. <laughs> like, I'm going to show up at your house and kneecap you if you don't do your Duolingo today. Duo the Owl is very sad. You haven't gone on in a day. It was like they stopped doing that, I think, after complaints from parents of kids who got this message and stuff like that. But, yeah, and you do your language and see ads. Fine. I can live with that. But, um, yeah, so Duolingo is fine. You know, it's, doing it is better than not doing it at all, but I should actually check other material too. You've got to culture yourself. You know, you've got to learn things. Improve your mind. Yeah, no, it's it is you know it's helpful. Uh, Somebody went to my alum from my from my college made it. One come manzanas, the very first thing Duolingo teaches you. <laughs> I have uh, I almost every episode I end by saying adios, and then one listener was like, "Can Ed please stop saying adios every single time the episode closes?" I was going to do a thing where I changed it to like every single language that I was going to do over time, but I think I'm just going to do like a few and then go back to adios just to to bug them a little. People can find uh, David also on Twitter at David uh, Gerard, uh, where you know he is firing off these thoughts. If you search for David Gerard Bitcoin, you'll find me. David, what's your what's your Patreon so people can go throw you some money? Patreon.com slash David Gerard. Uh, it really was a pleasure to talk with you about this. Uh, we're also going to be including works, uh, you know, recent things that you've published, um, like that, you know, the late uh, comers guide to crypto crashing, you know, uh, something we didn't, we talked a bit about uh, and around, but is also a really great piece. You said you had in foreign policy also explaining Luna and UST um, and so forth. So read all of David's work as well as all the work that he mentioned here if you're interested and want to suffer the curse of knowledge that we all have <laughs> about this demonic spawn from hell. Hey, come on in. The abyss sucks. <laughs> yeah. Keep gazing. <laughs> Our upcoming episode will be talking about Jathan's keynote conference uh, that he gave, which he described or was described to him as a doomer uh, (laughs) lecture, but was a necessary one. Uh, So we'll talk through that analysis and see what was going on there. Uh, That's it for uh, us over at TMK. I hope you had a nice time listening to the conversation. Uh, And until then, adios.
Thank you.